studying uh, the book of Joshua, and we are looking at this from the theme, Possessing Your Possession. Possessing Your Possession. We are looking at the fact that God has promised to us abundance of life. God has promised that we should be victors in our lives. In many parts of scriptures, the Bible says that he will bless us and we shall be a blessing. We shall be heads and not tails. We shall lend and not borrow. And so on and so forth, the Bible makes promises for an abundant life for those who trust in him. But as we have uh, mentioned in the previous uh, sessions, for many of us, this is not the reality of life. We seem to be moving from one uh, difficulty to another, and life is one bundle of frustration for some of us. And so we are looking at why is it so, and how can things change? On Monday, we considered the fact that the reason for some of us not experiencing that which God has meant for us is because we are carrying with us loads from the past. Our past lives are hanging over our heads and we are not able to move forward. And so because of that, we are frustrated. And we saw how God came to the children of Israel at Gilgal and he said, I have rolled off the reproach of Egypt. And we too need to get to that point where we bring all our past to the feet of Jesus Christ and have him take off that burden. Yesterday we considered the strongholds of Jericho. That there are some things, some fortresses, some situations that are so fortified and so strong and stand against our progress. And unless God comes to our aid, we cannot make any headway. And we saw how God came to the children of Israel at Jericho. And by a very simple act, they were able to see the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And so they were able to move in and take that city and devote it to the Lord. Tonight, we move on in this series and we are going to be looking at the topic dealing with sin in the camp dealing with sin in the camp this may be perhaps the most solemn uh, of the series that we are doing but turn with me to Joshua chapter 7 I'll actually try and read the whole chapter so that we can get the full picture of what was happening here. Joshua chapter 7, from verse 1 to the end. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Aven, 
to the east of Bethel and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were rooted by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been rooted by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turned their backs and ran because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted for destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the, uh, the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, 
I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israels and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all, the, all Israel, took Achan son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Echor ever since. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, as we consider this word, I pray, O oh, Heavenly Father, that you would minister to us. You know the heart of everyone who is seated here. And Lord, we pray that you would reach us at the very point of our needs. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you, this is perhaps the most uh, difficult section of this series. Dealing with sin in the camp. Israel, as we saw yesterday, had destroyed Jericho in style. This was a major breakthrough because since Jericho was a major fortress that must have worried Joshua, he must have rejoiced when he saw the walls of Jericho come down. In fact, the Bible records at the close of chapter 6 that because of the pulling down of the strongholds of Jericho, Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. Everybody was singing Joshua's praises. And who would not, seeing what had happened? What now remained was to take Ai, a much smaller but very strategic fortress at the top of the hill country, and this would give them, the Israelites, a command post from where then they would be able to take control of almost the rest of, all the rest of uh, Canaan land. And so if they were able to take Ai after taking Jericho, they were going to be at a great advantage in fighting the rest of the land. So Joshua sent out spies to go and assess Ai. Their report was extremely encouraging, as we have seen. They say to Joshua, Not all the people should go up against Ai. Send only two or three thousand men to take it. And do not worry the rest of the people, for only a few men are in that city. And as far as the spies could see, Ai was going to be a mere walkover compared to Jericho. And with this kind of scenario, it is noteworthy that the writer opens chapter 7 with an antithesis. He starts the chapter 7 with the word but, which is like contrasting 
the close of chapter 6, which says, the fame of Joshua had spread across the land. And it seems like a definite preparation of the reader for the sad story of defeat that is soon to follow. With the spies having given their report, the reporter tells of the strategy that was taken. About 3,000 men went up to take Ai. Then verse 4 and 5 tells the sad outcome of the battle of Ai. The Bible says that they were rooted by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them and they caused the Israelites they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And as would be expected, the Bible says that this defeat caused the hearts of the people of Israel to melt and become like water. What was happening here? It could well be understandable that after the previous victories, AI must have been like a small matter. According to the spies, Joshua did not need to weary the rest of the people. Just take 3,000. Only a few men were to go to Ai. The question is, was this a statement of faith and confidence in the Lord? Or was it a sense of pride and confidence in themselves? It is for you to judge. The writer seems to want to imply that there was a serious presumption on their part. They assumed that because Jordan had been conquered and Jericho had fallen, Ai was not going to be a big deal. They were just going to move in and take it, and a few men would be adequate to take it. Unfortunately, this was a major self-deception because there is no record of their listening to God's voice who told them to go out and take Ai in that way. Compare that, for example, with the crossing of Jordan. God gave specific instructions to Joshua on how he was to cross the Jordan with the people. God gave him instruction on how each person was to move. Compare that with the taking of Jericho. The Bible tells us the commander of God's army came and told Joshua exactly what he was to do in order for Jericho to be defeated. But here we do not see Joshua and his team looking to God and finding out how are we to take this city. Instead, because they have spied and found that it is a small city, they made a decision of their own. Looking at their strength, looking at the strength of their opponent, and they said, this one we are well able to do. We should not bother God. This is a small city. We can take it. And so they did not bother to consult with God, and great was their defeat. And I can tell you that it is often, after God has brought upon our lives major victories, that we are most vulnerable to failure. It is at times when God has blessed us abundantly that we are most vulnerable to taking him for granted. Because we assume that since he brought down the walls of Jericho, surely he will bring down the walls of Ai. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. It is at that moment when we think we have God on our side that we can easily ignore him and find ourselves in arrogant pride. When Ai sent his, uh, Joshua's people running, Joshua could not believe it. He humbled himself and fell before the Lord. And the elders also came and did the same. And in a corporate petition, they came to God to find out what is the problem. But unfortunately, instead of repenting and seeking God's face, Joshua complained before God. And as you can see from verse 7, what he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. Now Joshua is complaining about the very thing that he had been rejoicing about. He is saying, why did you part the Jordan? Why did you do that miracle? And how many of us have complained? God, why did you give me this job? And yet you had prayed. And after many fastings, God opened the door and you rejoiced at the job that God has given you. And now when you are facing difficulty, you go back to the same God and say, if only I never got this job. How we so quickly forget. And so God questioned, or rather Joshua questioned God's wisdom in bringing them across the Jordan. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been rooted by its enemies? The Canaanites and all the people of this country will hear about it and they will surround us and wipe us, our name out from the earth. Then listen to what he asked God. What then? will you do for your own great name? Joshua felt that the name of the Lord was at stake. By Israel being defeated, the name of the Lord was at stake. But let me tell you, that is great deception. God's name is never at stake because he needs to defend himself against nobody. God doesn't need to defend himself against anybody. His name is never at stake. He, needs, he has no reputation to defend. God has no reputation to defend. And so if you think that by your failure, God's name will be brought to shame, I'm, I'm afraid it is your name that will be brought to shame. And God's name will continue on. God's name needs no defense. He has no reputation to protect. So God's rebuke to Joshua was sharp and directed. He told him in verse 10, stand up. What are you doing with your face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possession. And this is the reason why you have been defeated. The problem is not with me. The problem is with you. God was telling them. 
And so he called on them to repent from their sin. And the prescription that then he goes on to give Joshua in identifying the source of sin was long and tedious. He told Joshua in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. I don't know how many days it took them to do that because these were thousands of people. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him because he has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. What was the idea behind this uh, prescription? I believe that God wanted to get everybody involved in this thing so that he made it clear to each and every person that he was not going to tolerate sin in the midst of them. He wanted to let them know that despite God's grace, he does not tolerate sin. He wanted to let them know that God's word had to be obeyed strictly and adhered to if success was to be realized. And so they went through the process and Achan was identified as the culprit. And the Bible says, be sure your sin shall find you out. Achan's sin found him out. And you remember in similar kind of story, Ananias' sin found him out. When he thought he could get lost in the crowd, he could get lost in the multitude. Tribe by tribe. Clan by clan. Family by family. Until he was picked out. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And after he was discovered, Achan confessed and said, I have sinned against the Lord. But I ask myself, was this a genuine confession? It was not. How can we tell? Because when all these tribes were being called, where was Achan? When all the clans were being invited forward, where was Achan? When all the families were being called, where was Achan? Why did he have to wait until he was caught? Then come forward and say, I have sinned against the Lord. When Joshua mentioned that somebody has taken the devoted things that belong to the Lord, why didn't he come forward and fall before the, the man of God and say, it is I, please forgive me. I believe God would have forgiven him. Because the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. But this man waited, hoping against hope that he will not be found out. So the man stole these beautiful things, precious things against God's word. But was he enjoying them? He was not. Because he himself said, I have kept them in the tent 
In fact, I have not kept them. I have hidden them. Now, what is a robe? What, of what use is a robe? A beautiful robe. Of what use is a beautiful dress or a nice suit if it is hidden in the hole in your room? Is it just the joy of knowing that it is there? <laughs> huh? Because a beautiful dress is only beautiful as long as it is worn. A nice suit is beautiful as long as it is worn. But if it is seated there in your wardrobe, in the secret places of your bedroom, of what good is it? What good is a bar of gold if it is dug underground? It is of no good. And this is the futility and the deceit of sin. And we find many people behave in this way. But the deceit of sin is this. It looks pleasurable while it gets you enticed. But it stings you later when it turns around against you. Achan could not enjoy what he had stolen. And in fact, when he, he was discovered, he lost everything together with what he had stolen. His family and all that he owned was gone. His own life was gone. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but in the end loses his own soul? It is not until Achan had been turned into a pile of rocks that the Bible says, the Lord's anger was turned away from Israel. What can we learn from Achan's story? I believe that one of the greatest and in fact the worst obstacle to possessing our possession is sin. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 to 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear but your iniquities have separated between you and your God your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear God wants to bless us God wants to do great things in our lives but if we consider iniquity within ourselves God cannot hear us he cannot listen to us and we are therefore open to, uh, to defeat. The second thing I see about this story is that sin can never be hidden forever. Sin can never be hidden forever. One day it will smell so bad that people will discover it. Achan's sin found him down out. He perhaps had hoped against hope that nobody would know Nobody would find out, find out, but he was found out. So the best way to deal with sin is to confess it. When we abuse God's grace, he can let us suffer defeat. Israel took God's grace for granted and his guidance for granted, and they paid dearly. There is nothing too small in our lives that we should not bring to the Lord and ask him, Father, what would you have me do in this situation? It is not just the Jerichos. It is also the Ais. In fact, when you chapter 8, where now, after they had confessed their sin, God told them to go and take Ai. 
the very prescription that Joshua gave to the people and the spies had recommended was completely opposite to what God had intended. Because the people had said, let not everybody go to take AI. Just send a few people. When God said, God said, everybody must go. It was the direct opposite of what God had intended in the taking over of AI. Fourthly, sin not only affects the sinner, but could spread its consequences to the family, even to the very fellowship in which we belong. Achan's sin did not end with him. The whole Israel had to suffer the consequences of one man's sin. You would remember Jonah when he ran away from God in disobedience. The whole ship was rocked by the storm because of one man. Number five, sin cannot be prayed for. It must be identified, confessed, and repented. When Joshua tried to pray about it, God told him, my friend, what are you doing? Stand up. Stand up. Israel has sinned. There's nothing to pray about. Go out and get tribe by tribe, clan by clan, tribe, uh, family by family, man by man. Sin cannot be prayed for. Sometimes we sin against God, and then we keep praying, hoping that God will forget our sin and cover it, and life will continue as normal. Not that way. Sin must be confessed and repented. If we are to experience the blessing of the Lord, we must deal with the sin in our lives, both as individuals and as a fellowship. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to ruin, to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. A man who stirs up dissension among brothers. And my question to us this evening is, these things that God hates, can they be found among us? Are there men and women here who are caught up with haughty eyes? Pride of life. With tribalistic chauvinism. With status. You cannot associate with some people because they do not belong to your level and your class. With their education. You think you have read to the highest level and anybody else is down there. And so your pride is what goes before you. But the Bible says pride goes before a fall. Haughty eyes is one of the seven things that God hates. A lying tongue. Are there liars in our midst? People who tell black lies, not white ones. 
a man or woman who will tell you bluntly a story that they know so well is not true. It's one of the things that God hates. Are there among us people who shed innocent blood? I'm sure many of us would be relaxed and say, at least I've never murdered anybody. But there are people who have committed abortion among us. Are there people, the Bible says, that he who hates his brother is a murderer? Are there among us people who have a hatred within our hearts and there are people we cannot see eye to eye with? And you enjoy it. God says he hates a hand that sheds innocent blood. Are there brothers in this church? And I've heard that there are. Some of them are even involved in ministry, but they go home and beat their wives silly. Is that of the Lord? Men and women who go home and beat their children. One morning we came here and the watchman told us that there's a girl who had to spend a night in our tent. Why? Because the mother had beaten her and driven her out of home in the middle of the night. And she had to walk in her nightdress to come and spend the night here. A member of this church. How can God bless us, brethren, if these things are in our midst? How can we possess our possessions if sin is dwelling among us. Are there people whose hearts devise wicked schemes? Men who con fellow brethren. People who will deceive you that you are getting into good business only to lead you into the ways of destruction. Adulterous people, fornicators among us. Are there such people living among us? Will God's spirit and presence come upon us if these things are in our midst. People whose feet are quick to rush into evil. People who are false witnesses and who pour out lies. They will tell you, I saw, I heard, I have been told by a very reliable source when they know that they have fabricated the whole story. The last one, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. People who cause people to go, others to fight one another. You know? Stirring up rumors. Did you hear what so and so said about you? If I were you, this is what I would do. Are these people in our midst? The Bible says, God told Joshua, rise up. Sin is in your midst. And I want to call upon us, all of us, I'm not excluded from this. If we are going to see God's blessing, both as a, a fellowship and as individuals, we must deal with sin. I'm not talking about stumbling into sin. All of us stumble into sin once in a while. When one stumbles into sin, they rise up and confess very quickly. But I'm talking about people who are living in sin. 
You know this thing is wrong, but you are enjoying it. You are hiding it. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And this is what made David a different man. David, I think, committed, by human standards, the worst sins. Because what is worse than adultery? What is worse than murder in our own eyes? But when David was confronted with his sin, he went to God and cried out in Psalm 51 and said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and you are justified when you judge. Cleanse me with high soap, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face away from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Oh God, create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Which God would not listen to that kind of a cry? God heard David's cry and do you know what God did? After that, God blessed David with an everlasting blessing. Jesus is called son of David. No son of Achan. What distinguishes between Achan and David? Achan simply took some robes and a few little things. But he died for it. David murdered somebody's husband and took his wife. But he was forgiven. It means if we deal with sin, God will forgive us no matter how deep. And tonight, if those of us who want to possess our possessions. I'm not saying that all of us who are here are sinners. But I want us to pray for our fellowship. I want us to pray for our church. I want us to pray for our congregation that God would purge us out. If you are one of them and you are here, please go to the Lord and ask for sincere forgiveness and leave this place a woman or man that is free from that burden of sin. Let's find a place of prayer. Hallelujah.